0: Go to Blue Nile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get fifty dollars off your purchase of five hundred dollars or more. That's code LISTEN at Blue Nile.com for fifty dollars off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova, and you're listening to the tennis podcast. <laughs> And welcome to a special edition of the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Special edition, why? because the ATP World Tour Finals is due to start on Sunday. The draw was made on Thursday night, and Catherine Whittaker and myself, David Law, we can wait no longer to talk about who's playing who, what might happen, get some ridiculous predictions in, and hear your thoughts as well. Take your questions at Tennis Podcast on Twitter. On this edition of the show as well, we'll talk to Tim Henman, who tells Catherine what he thinks will happen when Britain plays against Belgium in the Davies Cup by BNP Paribas final. And Tim Hedman reveals his own plans for being part of that final. And you might be quite surprised to hear what he plans to do. Catherine Whittaker, hello. 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 Uh, Catherine, you've had a, a bit of a shopping mission today, haven't you? it involved Roger Federer.
2: It did involve Roger Federer. I do hope my brother is listening to this uh, after having opened his present, because otherwise it will rather give the game away. I had to go to Nike Town in Oxford Circus, which for anybody that hasn't been there, just imagine sort of hell, but on earth. It's horrendous. Uh, Maybe I'm just completely out of touch with the youth, but I walk in there and I feel like I'm on a different and hostile planet, uh, seeking out Roger (laughs) Federer uh, branded uh, clothing attire for my brother's birthday present.
1: Well, absolutely how how selfless that is and of course as we know your brother is the number 1 uh, or at least in his own mind, Roger Federer fan, and therefore he has to have the appropriate attire. Now, last night we were saying that the, the, the big one is upon us, the ATP World Tour Finals, the top eight players in the world. This is a tournament that has been running for decades. We now also know that it will be held in London in its 10th year because it has been extended, that contract at the O2 Arena, until 20, 2018. And, and it has been just one great big success, that tournament Catherine, it never ceases to amaze me when I walk in the place and see just how vast it is, how they fill it twice a day, often when the doubles matches are on as well and, you know, they've been doing it year after year, they're they're getting 250,000 people a year in that stadium
2: Yeah, it's fantastic and I have to say, I, I probably... Wouldn't have thought that possible prior to uh, prior to the O2 coming to London. I, I always s- s- sort of got a bit depressed, really, that in this country tennis is just a two-week-a-year thing, and for the other fifty weeks of the year, nobody's really that interested. You know, not to, I don't want to give Nike Town too much promotion, but going in there earlier, I had to basically search through a haystack for a needle to find the tennis section in that shop. You know, it didn't have great prominence. But then the fact that the O2 is full two sessions a day, it's an enormous arena, full two sessions a day uh, for over a week is, I mean, you just can't argue with that, can you? It's been a monumental success.
1: No, it it certainly has. And fantastic news. Congratulations to Chris Camode and all the team that put on that wonderful event. And as we say, we now know that it will be in London at the O2 Arena until 2018. So we've got at least another three years after this one. But this is the one that we're going to concentrate on at the moment because another development since we last spoke to you is that they've decided to name the two groups that uh, the players have been put into after great champions of the past, particularly with a 70s theme this particular year. So we have Group Stan Smith and we have Group Ilyna Stasi. Now, in Group Stan Smith, we have Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Thomas Burditch and Kei Nishikori. In Group Ily Nastasi, we have uh, Rafael Nadal, Stan Wawrinka, Andy Murray and David Ferrer. Which is the tougher of those two groups? Which would you, Catherine Whittaker, not want to have been drawn into out of those two? Who would have been your, your group of death?
2: I, think, I don't think there is one. I think they're both pretty even. I think for Thomas Burditch and Kei Nishikori, uh the Ilyin Nastasi group, is no, sorry, the Stan Smith group is the group of death because I don't really see them with any hope at all. Uh, but the other one, sort of, I think if you assigned values to each player according to their sort of ranking and, and current level, I think they'd probably average out at roughly the same. But I think there's more balance in uh, the Andy Murray, Vavrinka, Nadal, Ferrer group than there is in the other one, where I don't see or haven't heard of anybody not picking Djokovic and Federer to be the ones to progress from that one.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I know what you mean. I think uh, when you look at that Ilhan nastasi group, uh, think about it, Nadal against Murray, Nadal against Vavrinka, Murray against uh, Vavrinka. The, those are wonderful matches in themselves. David Ferrer, I think, is the man that all the other three will feel they can beat. But if they provide anything short of their best, they could struggle as well.
2: Well, exactly. I mean, Andy Murray, he, he beat David Ferrer in Paris and he did a good job of doing that. But it was still, you know, a decent contest. On on his day, David Ferrer can challenge and it only takes one of those three to to slip up against David Ferrer for them to be, you know, really having ground to make up. Because as you say, that'll be the one that going in, they'll see that is the, hopefully the point in the bank. And then it's it's about beating... Those uh, those are the two. So for me, there's a bit more intrigue in that any nostalgia group because it's a bit more open. Um, But as I say, I don't think it's come out with a group of death. But, you know, Thomas Burditch might see that differently.
1: Uh, Andy Murray has uh, got David Ferrer in his first match on Monday, we now know, uh, with Nadal against Favrinka, the evening match on Monday. On Sunday, everything gets underway with uh, uh, Djokovic against Kane Nishikori and then Federer against Burdich. I love watching Nishikori against Djokovic if the real Kane Nishikori turns up. I'm always a little bit underwhelmed by his physical fitness I mean, I'm not to say he's not fit but his general health often seems at this time of year to be compromised nishikuri and I often feel as though we're just not going to get to see the best of him I want to see the best of him Catherine Whitaker, sort it out
2: yeah uh, well, I'll I'll I'll, well, I'll put a call into Michael Chang shall I I mean I, I don't know what he can do about that I mean people are, are made up differently aren't they I mean one of one of the greatest things about Federer and now you'd probably say Djokovic has a similar trait you know they just don't get injured and uh, yeah it's a problem for him but I don't really know what he I'm I'm sure he is doing everything he can to rectify that because the frustration he must feel at, at something like that being what's scuppering him um, and he, he, um, after watching him in Paris against Gasquet I thought there's just no chance at all he'll be at the O2 but he claims uh, he's fully fit after that uh, stomach injury so we have to believe him and we have to believe he thinks he'll be able to fully compete but uh, I'd be really surprised I have to say if he gave Djokovic anything like a run for his money.
1: You know, I I read a very interesting uh I I put out a poll asking whether people would rather see Federer in the Djokovic group or in the Murray group before the draw was made
2: you've been and I was quite interested since t- discovering twitter polling David hilarious. oh
1: I love twitter polling yeah absolutely I, I, I my next one is shall I get out of the left side of the bed or the right side of the bed uh, I just uh, I'm going to use polls for every single decision I make in life from here on so get ready for it at tennis podcast twitter followers that's how good it's going to be but uh Roger Federer most people were saying that they wanted him in with Djokovic and then I suddenly thought I'm not really sure who these people are though are they Federer fans who think he's got a better chance against Djokovic are they Murray fans who just wants him nowhere near Murray are they Djokovic fans who want to see Djokovic beat Roger Federer I didn't really know what was going on at the end of it but most people wanted him in with Djokovic and that's what they got
2: well, that's uh, I've, I've, I feel the same as you really I feel that's a bit Unfathomable. I, I, I guess maybe the only way to be guaranteed to see the world number one play the world number two is if they're drawn in the same group together. So maybe it's just the fact that, you know, this is the top eight in the world. You want to see the best of the best in terms of contests. So you do want to see the world number one play the world number two. And the fact they're drawn in the same group means we're guaranteed to see that. I mean, we could see it twice.
1: Yeah, one of the beauties is of the, the ATP World Tour finals, and we talked about round-robin and the pros and cons to it, certainly one of the pros is the fact that you get to see these matches potentially twice. And we've seen on a number of occasions one result in the round-robin and a completely different one when they get through to the semis or the final. And I, I actually love all that. And I reckon that in some ways Djokovic is probably more vulnerable in that round-robin match against Roger Federer. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think I certainly wouldn't. You know, if they do end up playing twice, which is what most people seem to be predicting overall, um, I certainly don't think it's set in stone that Djokovic would definitely win win those matches. I mean, Federer has a far, far better record over, Joko, uh, over Djokovic over three best of three set matches. It's significantly better. So I would, if you sort of count their grand, recent Grand Slam results out of thing out of their equation. Uh, they're far far more evenly matched so uh, and Federer likes the 0-2 in the court there just as much as Djokovic does so they did have to play twice yes Djokovic because of how dominant he is but would be the favorite going into each but only marginally I would say. But don't you think
1: that Federer's better chance is in the round robin one of the two?
2: Probably I don't see it as that big a deal I mean they're, they're they're both big-time players, aren't they? Why do you see it that way?
1: Just because I think once Novak Djokovic gets his feet on a court and starts to properly get the pace of it, I think he gets better with the rounds. And his resilience, His I think he's, he's absolutely maximised the ability to peak in the final. And Roger Federer has always been one of the greats at doing that. But I think that Djokovic now is the best at that.
2: I suppose I wouldn't. I suppose I I can't disagree with that. Um, but I just I don't think that's maybe the most significant factor. I think Roger Federer would have a chance, a significant chance, in in the round in the group stage, and and also if they played again in the final, perhaps a ever so slightly diminished chance in the final. But I don't see that being that significant significant a factor. Yes, you're absolutely right. Of course, Djokovic has perfected that art, but. That was a knot that Federer perfected years ago. And as I, as I say, best of three makes a big difference in the rivalry between these two.
1: Right, then. Let's have your two semi-finalists uh, from the Murray-Vavrinka-Nadal-Ferrer group.
2: Um, I'm going for Vavrinka and I'm going for Andy Murray.
1: OK. Uh, in which order? That order?
2: Yeah, go on then, I'll go for that order. Vavrinka first, Murray second. Right, so
1: Vavrinka is topping the group. Uh, okay. Well Vavrinka isn't even isn't even getting through that group as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be Andy Murray at the top of that group, uh, with Rafael Nadal in second position, then Vavrinka, then Ferrer. That's what's gonna happen in that group. And then I'll pick the first in the other one. It is going to be the easy group, uh,
2: David. You're gonna pick first in the yeah. easy group.
1: I, I'm going to pick first in the easy group, yeah. Uh, hold on a minute, what are you talking about? This one's got Berdych and Nishikori in it mm. as well. So you're, p- you're picking Berdych and
2: Nishikori then, are you, David?
1: No, no, I'm not. I'm going to go with uh, Novak Djokovic first, then Roger Federer second. Oh. So that will leave us with... Uh, be still be heart, uh, that will you leave... do you
2: surprise me.
1: Right, OK, well that will leave us with uh, a Djokovic against Rafael Nadal semi and a Federer against Murray semi you'd sign up for that wouldn't you
2: oh, boy would I sign up for that yeah but I'd sign up for my projected semi-finals as well David
1: yeah but that's not going to happen <laughs> is it because I'm going to get this right and you're not it's m- really m- as simple in as that. my
2: world David we get another we get a rerun of the Federer Vavrinka semi-final from last year how good would that be
1: well, all right, that would be quite good as well. So, basically, uh, and then when we get to that stage, what are you going for your final lineup?
2: My final lineup is going to be Djokovic and Federer. Da, da, da. I've shocked the tennis world by making that prediction, haven't I?
1: Yeah, you have. And I am also going to go for exactly the same thing, but obviously they've got slightly different routes uh, of getting there. Uh, and then I've got to pick the winner of the title, and it is going to be. Oh, Novak Djokovic.
2: <laughs> wow. Boy, are we sticking our next three, in a, line today, <laughs> uh, <I'm laughs> three in a row today, David. I was thinking about this earlier, and I, and I had a, a slight feeling of, you know, when you're watching a murder mystery and all of the evidence points to someone, and you think, well, it's obviously not that bloke. It's just too, it's just too darn obvious. It can't be him. And I had that feeling about picking Novak Djokovic. Is it just too ridiculously obvious? But, of course... Uh, it's not, and I really, really think it is going to be Novak Djokovic.
1: I put this out on Twitter, at Tennis Podcast, Catherine. There are reams and reams of people answering this uh, this lineup, picking their semi-finalists. Did you, did you I put it out in find...
2: form? Could you find a way to... To put that no, into a I couldn't poll. actually oh.
1: sadly not, sadly not, so far, Twitter isn't quite developed enough to have any more than two options, uh, but anyway, I'm sure they're working on it just for me, but if I look down all of these answers and there's loads of them, not one person has picked anything other than five names potentially getting through to the last four. There's not a single person who's picked Ferrer, Burditch or Nishikori to have any say in the semi-finals. It's basically either Vavrinka or Nadal and, uh, and and that's all there is to it.
2: It's, uh, it's a shame for Thomas Burditch, isn't it? I mean, he's just the forgotten man. He's not part of the conversation anymore he's 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 there
1: and actually he wasn't he good against Djokovic last week in in Paris yeah. he he was really good against him he very nearly beat him that was or at least I mean I say that he lost in straight sets but there were both I think there were tie break sets there were really good sets and,
2: yeah I'm, I mean I mean everybody loses in straight sets to Djokovic it's just how how those sets play out isn't it and he mustered is as, uh, as good a fight as anyone has Uh, recently Um, but yeah he's just he's not playing badly he's he's playing decent tennis he's finished in the top eight yet again that's an achievement but he's just not in the conversation anymore.
1: Yeah, sure is an achievement. Uh, Just a quick mention of the fact uh, that obviously the top eight doubles teams in the world are also in London. We have the Arthur Ashe Stan Smith group, which is Simone Bellelli and Fabio Fanini, uh, Bob Bryan and Mike Bryan, Jamie Murray and John Peers, and Rohan Bopana and Florian Mageia. That is a really good group, isn't it?
2: Yeah it's a really good group. I'm not I'm not sure how happy Jamie Murray and John Peers will be with that group because the uh, the Italians are tough and of course, you know, the Bryans are the Bryans. But uh I mean, it, I think it's a really really strong doubles field this year. I said on Twitter I'm I'm really disappointed that that Sock and Pospisil didn't make it through because I really think they would have they would have brought something, you know, it's it, it is you know no disrespect to the double specialists but it it does bring something having single specialists really competing at the the top echelons of the doubles game so for me and for them to get so close uh, all they needed to do was to win that final in paris to qualify but even uh, without them i think it's an incredibly strong field you know mao Herbert, they're really exciting the italians the bryans obviously and to have a Brit in the doubles at the O2, I think, will do enormous things for uh, for the crowds they managed to to gather for, for the doubles matches. Because it's a really difficult conundrum for them. Do you put the doubles on before the singles? And of course, lots of people show up late and people are milling, milling in after having got their drinks and everything. Or do you put them on afterwards and watch people sort of slowly leaving which is i, I both... think they've
1: got it the right way around personally i, I think I it, there's still a decent crowd in and if they run on a bit they get a full crowd because people have come in a little bit earlier and i think people do enjoy the doubles personally enormously
0: quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side
1: I think it's the best doubles crowds, aside from Wimbledon, that I see all year. I think uh, you see some great uh, doubles crowds as well in Asia. You see some good ones in America as well. They do love watching their doubles as well. But I I do think, in terms of a big stadium, uh, big event feel, feel, it is certainly the O2 that that has the best of it there. I think we're going to get Bellelli and Fanini going through, and Jamie Murray and John Pierce. Sorry, Brian Brothers.
2: Oh, that's... That's bold. Wow. Okay, I mean, the Bryans haven't had uh, a particularly great past few weeks, to be fair. So that's not I mean, just to just to agree with you, David, they'll take one moment to agree with you. They are they are relatively great crowds. And I think anybody that does make the effort or even accidentally stumbles upon the doubles because it overruns or whatever, People absolutely love it. It's such a fantastic spectator sport, the doubles, but I think people don't necessarily account for it in their plans to make sure they get there in time for the start of the doubles. I think people think, oh, well, you know, get there at a a leisurely half six, watch the end of the doubles. And I think often people are surprised by how much they enjoy it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now uh, the Fleming and Mackinro group is uh, has Jean-Julien Ro- Roger, Haraya Takao, uh, and then the uh, Hughes Hebert Mahu uh group uh, or, or pairing rather uh Dodig and mellow who are very dangerous and Dodig obviously a good singles player in his own right and then mutkowski and ziminich i think we're going to see uh hugas herbert and mo and Dodig and Melo come through that group what do you think
2: oog pierre oog herbert
1: um no i don't don't pick me up on my pronunciations i'm good at this <laughs>
2: um i think that it's good i agree uh bear and mo and i think don't think makovsky Zimenich are gonna do it can i just copy you and go for Dodig and Mello as well no um who were the fourth pairing david just remind me
1: uh it was julian roger and to cow
2: jean julian roger the wind wind of andy murray i'll go for roger and to there we go
1: all right then oh Crikey, I wish I'd gone for them. Anyway, uh, that's uh, those are going to be the semi-finals as we see them. Uh, now, the tournament in general has had some fantastic memories, hasn't it? I I, I always remember standing on the court back in my ATP days when uh, Gustavo Curtin won the tournament in Lisbon when it was held there, beating Andre Agassi in the final. Never heard sound like it. Uh, it, it may, not only because people were celebrating Guga's win. It was more the, the reception they gave to Andre Agassi who I think probably the Lisbon crowd thought maybe they'd never get to see him, and they chanted his name in defeat. And he looked in a trance, to be honest, at the time. But it was one of those great moments. Uh, any particular moments stand out in terms of matches that you've seen over the years?
2: Oh, I mean, so many. The uh, the Bandian victory over Federer a few years back in Shanghai last year, that Vavrinka Federer match. I mean, there weren't that many great matches. Uh, in last year's event, but that Vavrenka federa match really stood out, both for the quality of the tennis and for some unexpected additional drama. And uh, I think it was the very first year the uh, the event was held at the O2, and it was that final group stage match between Murray and Del Potro, and it was so close as to who was going through, and it was coming down to percentage of games won, and of course that was changing with every game that passed. And at the end of the match... Uh nobody knew who had gone through the, the the maths it took a while for the computers to catch up because it was such a uh, a changeable fluid situation and and the drama of that you know emphasized all that is great about the ram robin format I think.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Ilya Lekovic says Del Potro against Soderling in 2009. Third set tiebreak. Funniest match I ever saw. Amazing ball striking. You can imagine it, can't you? I do hope we get Del Potro back at the top of the game in the future. Money Mike says Federer against Nalbandian in 05. The one you referenced there, Catherine. Some of the tennis that Nalbandian played in that Tennis Masters Cup. Oh, it was just mind-boggling. Aidan Kelly says Murray against Nadal a few years ago. Uh, in 2010 I think it was Gonzalo, Gonzalez against Federer, extraordinary forehands that Gonzalez was hitting that day, uh, although Federer ended up going on and still winning the tournament I seem to remember, now banding against Federer he mentions as well, Arda says uh, the Madrid Masters final in 2011 I don't think we're talking about the same thing there somehow Arda uh, Ali says the Hewitt Ferrero final in 2002 a five set epic in that one Federer against Safin. Remember that 2018 oh. tiebreak uh, that uh, Drama girl is telling us all about in Houston. I don't, I'm not going to forget that one in in a hurry. Tabarak says the one that really stands out is Blake against Federer, and a few people have nominated that simply because of the virtuoso performance that Federer put on at that, that time. And I remember when you spoke to James Blake earlier on this year, Catherine on the Tennis Podcast, he was talking about how he would play great tennis and think he could beat anybody in the world and then he would face Federer playing like that and realized actually there is another level
2: yeah and that's what so many people are experiencing now against Novak Djokovic isn't it
1: yeah sure is now let's hear shall we from Tim Henman the man who carried Great Britain along with Greg Rosetsky for many years in the Davis Cup and yet they never managed to get beyond the first round of the world group now Great Britain stands on the brink of winning the Davis Cup for the first time in 79 years and it is because Andy Murray and team have managed to get to that position. They're going to be playing Belgium in just a couple of weeks' time in Belgium and Catherine Whittaker has been talking to Tim Hemman.
2: Tim, you were a servant for Great Britain in the Davis Cup for many, many years. Back then, in the 90s and noughties, could you ever have envisaged a Davis Cup final that Great Britain have coming up later this year?
3: Um, certainly not, not really at the present time. Um, I think that's what makes it such an unbelievable achievement um, because so much of the responsibility has been on Andy Murray's um, shoulders. And, and you know, the whole team have chipped in. Obviously, James Ward had a big win um, playing the Americans and, and, uh, and then the doubles team with Jamie Murray has been very, very successful. So um, it, it's been amazing how the whole tournament has unfolded. And, and now with Great Britain in the final, Um, playing against Belgium Um, it's an incredible opportunity and I do, I really feel it's a once in a lifetime opportunity
2: Obviously so much of it hinges on Andy Murray and we'll talk about him in a minute but there's also that big second singles spot isn't there, how much would you like to see that carrot I suppose of, of that second singles spot being a huge motivating factor for Dan Evans, James Ward for that second singles player to really come through?
3: It is, and, and um, I, I think that is—it's um, it, very clear. Um, I, I'm not necessarily sure I'd put Dan Evans quite in the in the mix, but for. Uh, Kyle Edmund and, and James Ward. It's going to be a great motivating factor, and, and uh, it's going to give them something to work towards. But I think, in in some respects, it's important that they just concentrate on their, you know, own events for the f- next um, three or four weeks, because uh, you know, Davis Cup final is still probably seven or eight weeks away. So, um, you know, if they can get um, as many matches as possible in, in in the next three or four weeks, and then think about. You know, playing on the clay, it's obviously going to be in, indoor clay. I think their, you know, their preparation, both mentally and physically, is is going to be I- important. And uh, you know, I think um, irrespective of who plays, it's obviously an enormous match. But they've got to go in and and feel like they've got you know nothing to lose. They're not expected to win those matches. And if they can try and you know block out the uh, occasion as much as possible and go in there, um, you know, with uh, with a good attitude and and looking to. Um, you know, really enjoy the occasion and seize the moment, then um, I think they can play a part.
2: Just looking at Kyle, it's an amazing opportunity potentially but it's also just looking back at what happened to Paul-Henri Mathieu for example in that French final against Russia, it could also be a huge burden given how young he is you, would you see it as an opportunity for him, from his perspective
3: yeah absolutely and and it is it's uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing circumstances if it, if he does make his debut in the final but um, you know on the other side of the coin i think um you know rafa Nadal made his uh, debut in a in a um, in a davis Cup final so uh, um, it is what it is i think you've got to have the you know the mental the mental strength to just try and view it as, a, as another tennis match and that would be incredibly hard obviously with you know, thirteen thousand people in a stadium, and and um, obviously the awareness of, of it being a Davis Cup final. But uh, um, he's uh, he's a good young player. Um, he's got a good head on his shoulders, and if he's in that environment, I still think he can um, you know he can thrive.
2: Now, regardless of that second singles, the fact is that if GBR to have a chance, Andy Murray probably needs to be winning his two singles matches. How can you put into perspective the enormity of what he's achieved for his country just to get them? To the final.
3: Well, it is, and it's. Um, I think the, um, the 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 problem and and the expectation and the the pressure on Murray, Andy Murray, is that he's really got to win three matches. If you look at the matches, um, you know, individually, for example, um, against Australia, for Andy to beat um, Kokanarkos and Tomich um, is is nothing out of the ordinary. But the the reality is that when you're playing. Three best of five set matches, three consecutive days um, with that responsibility is incredibly um, draining both physically and mentally and so you know in the final for for Andy to beat um, Goffin and Darcis, we would expect that he 's a better player than both of them, but um, the the accumulation of of the of the whole year 's tennis and the accumulation of the the match wins in Davis Cup that's where it makes it so much harder so uh, um, but he, he's never um, ceased to surprise me with the level of play that he um, has achieved and, and uh, the wins that he's had um, for himself on the tour and in Grand Slams and, and this would just be an, another amazing achievement to add to his CV.
2: He really wants this doesn't he? Has he surprised you with just how much of a priority, winning this Davis Cup is
3: no. I think um, it's always been a, a big priority representing his country. But I think the whole environment is is something that he really enjoys, and I think that's where Leon Smith deserves credit um, as the captain. He's um, nurtured that environment. Um, he enjoys being around um, the team. Uh, uh, he, he enjoys obviously playing doubles with his brother. Um, so there's a lot of positives there, and, and this will be, you know, one final push. Um, you know, I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily expect them to be um, back in the Davis Cup final in the future, so I, I really do see it as a, a once-in-a-career, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity.
2: He's made the statement that he might not play the O2 in order to be ready for the Davis Cup final. It's an, a statement of just how much he cares about it. If he follows through with that, with that could you understand his decision-making?
3: For He's... he's He's got two decisions. There are two choices. Either he plays the World Tour Finals or he doesn't. And whatever he chooses to do, I would absolutely support that. Um, I I think he's going to play a very limited schedule on the Tour for the rest of the year. Um, I think there's a chance that he'll play the World Tour Finals um, and go into that very fresh. um, So that even if he were to to play on the final on Sunday, uh, I I still think he'd have the energy um, mentally and physically to be ready for the Davis Cup final. But if he decided not to play in the World Tour finals, that would be a huge statement. But um, you know, absolutely, he get me get my support. Whatever he decides to do.
2: And are you planning to go yourself? It's a huge occasion for it British is. tennis.
3: Yeah, it certainly is. And and um, I don't think I've been to watch many um, Davis Cup matches um, in my life when I haven't been part of the team. But um, you know, this is definitely one that I'll be. Uh, I'll be in Ghent sporting Great Britain.
2: Do you think that'll feel a bit weird, no, sitting I on the sidelines? No,
3: not at all. I've watched plenty of matches at Wimbledon and, um, and uh, it's one that I'm really excited about, one that I'm really looking forward to. Are
2: you going to sing the songs?
3: Uh, if I know the words. <laughs> Catherine, I can't
1: believe it. Tim Henman is going to the Davis Cup final as a fan.
2: I love it. I love the sort of him sat there with his face painted, chanting along all the songs. Do you think he'll have the face paint and the wig? I don't know. He's probably a bit too too cool for school for that. I don't
1: know. <laughs> it is it's amazing though. I can I just can't believe he's de- I mean there would not be a broadcaster that is there that would not want to have him on their team. I'm sure the B- I know the BBC have asked him. Uh, I know that all sorts of people have asked him, but he wants to go with his family. He wants to go as a fan.
2: Yeah, I love that. I love that. He knows he wouldn't be able to Enjoy the experience in the same way. Where he there working? He obviously doesn't need need the money, need the work. So why not go and just enjoy the experience? I think it's wonderful. I think it's great that that's how he wants to experience it. And he obviously it's important to him that uh, he takes his family as well, which is which is great. Maybe it'll be. An opportunity for them to gain a bit of understanding of everything. He, I mean, he was as great a servant as I said in my intro to him as Andy Murray has been, and had you know there were there were ties when he had Greg Rusedski for, for support, but there were plenty when he didn't. You know, I remember that tie against Thailand. That was the one that sticks out to me where he he won it pretty much single-handedly. He played both singles and the doubles. Um, You know, he he knows what it takes to to win a tie, and I think he's to to win a tie almost single-handedly with the help of with the help of one uh, doubles partner and I think he's full of awe and shock really that Andy Murray's been able to do it tie after tie after tie whilst also maintaining a position in the world's top 3 it's extraordinary
1: I think also he was very quick to point out that this may be a one-time only opportunity and Britain have got to take this
2: I, do, I think he was even more unequivocal than that. He said, "Not maybe." I think he he thinks in in the near future it is not going to happen again. This is it. This is the opportunity to seize, and uh, if if we don't do it now, uh, we probably well, n- not never say never, of course. But it could be another seventy nine years away. So, you know, the time is now. No pressure or anything, Andy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, the uh, other interesting point he was making there, you did that interview a few weeks ago, but he mentioned how Andy Murray had got this dilemma about whether to play the O2, whether not to. It now looks just a couple of days away from the start of the tournament that he's definitely going to play unless he has any more setbacks. And he certainly looks in good spirits, doesn't he? Seeing that draw yesterday on TV and seeing the pictures that came out of it, he looks happy Within himself and hearing the things he's been saying,
2: he does. It's brilliant to see with Andy Murray. It's it's not that hard to uh, to read between the lines and and to read his body language and to know when all is not quite well with him. I think and and he, as a reserved a person he is. As I say, you you can read read between the lines quite easily, and uh, he does seem to be um, in in great form. I think things are great for him on and off the court. I think he's genuinely excited about the davis cup final i think it's great for him to have that to to look forward to after the o2 and for this of course he wants to win it and of course he's going to put everything into it but it's not the be all and end all um and and i'm really pleased to see that because because i wanted him to play the o2 i just didn't want him to have to risk his physical health in order to do it and it looks like thankfully he is going to be able to play and without jeopardizing uh, jeopardizing his body ahead of the davis cup final
1: yeah and meanwhile tim henman will be getting ready for champions tennis at the royal albert hall alongside john mackenro pat cash Henri leconte james blake fernando gonzalez you name it they'll all be there get your tickets royalalberthall.com forward slash tennis and maybe you can go and see the greats in action yourself Now, I think that's about it for this edition of the Tennis Podcast brought to you in association with the Telegraph. We might be able to bring you the odd update during the O2, but we hope you've enjoyed this preview of the ATP World Tour Finals at the O2 Arena. And for now, though, thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon.